Welcome to Off Good Ireland Podcast. In this episode, we'll be speaking with David Coffey. David is an author of the book, The Imperfect Individual, and we have a really good conversation on current affairs and events. Please don't forget to like, share and subscribe. It really, really helps. And you can buy us a coffee or a membership at the link below. Thank you. Off Good Ireland is delighted to be speaking to David Coffey, a.k.a. Imperfect Individual, tonight on our podcast. David Coffey is 40-year-old author and YouTube content creator from the UK. The Imperfect Individual, David's perfect David's first book is based on a lifetime of insights and observations of Western society. David also has a YouTube channel called The Imperfect Individual, where he has a he where he and his friend Paul explores themes relating to rapidly changing world and our place in it. Tonight in Offgood Ireland, we are exploring Dave's views on the world and where he sees humanity going. Welcome to Offgood Ireland, David. Hi, thanks, Gavin. I really appreciate the invite. Oh. Hello. David, would you give give us a little bit of a background about yourself for the listeners that mightn't know a lot about you? Yes, no problem at all. Um, yeah, so I am from a place called Lydia, which is on the Merseyside, West Lanks border. Um, a little bit of background is I in many ways went through the uh, kind of like the mainstream uh, education system. I went to school, I went to university, I've had a series of different jobs in a number of different sectors. Uh, and, you know, and, and I've been tra- tra- done a lot of traveling, um, lots of different friendship groups and this kind of thing, lots and lots of different interests, but always felt a little bit out of place, felt like something wasn't quite right, felt as if uh, I never really properly fitted in, that there was more to life than I was experiencing, just a nagging feeling all along. Uh, really. And now at the age of 41 and having started to explore what that was all about, combined with world events in the last few years, I've come to realise that I think I'm one of those those individuals the, that has the um, the gift and the curse. And, you know, only, only other individuals, I think, who also know what the gift and the curse is. Some people call it being awake. I personally don't like the term awake. Um, I say that I'm waking up to to what the world is really like and the harsh reality of the world. Um, so as I've got a little bit older um, and I've, as I say, I've always had these um, this this feeling that, of, that there's some potential in me. And what is it that I'm actually put on this? What was I put on this earth to do? Um, so when the, the whole COVID uh, situation um started i i kind of like felt called to action uh, i can't really describe it other than kind of like the deepest essence of my being my soul my heart told me that i had a role to play and that was when i started my youtube youtube channel now the year before i'd also started writing my book the imperfect individual because i sensed that there was something deeply amiss with the world so it's in the last few years that i've really begun to kind of understand 
those feelings that I've that I've had for much of my life about about you know what why 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 is why is there so much conformity on display? Um, why is authenticity and such? It seems to be in such short supply. Why have I never really felt like I've I've fitted in? So, yeah, it's been quite a journey so far, really. <laughs> good, good stuff, David. Um, am I coming through, Dave? Can you hear me? Yeah, properly? I can hear you. I can hear you. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. David, I'm interested to know what you were doing prior to 2019. Were you a normal man doing a job, happy-go-lucky, or were you an intuitive man always no knowing something wasn't quite, quite right or something going on subliminally? Yeah. So I think I've always, from a young age, had a sense of something beyond what we can see and hear. I think from a young age, I was always quite cynical about, even if I didn't understand the cynicism at a young age, about much of society. Um, so my background, I was brought up in a really, really loving um, family home with my, uh, my mom and dad uh, and my younger brother and sister. I had a, an amazing um, upbringing and I, um, I grew up in the 80s and 90s uh, at a time, I think, when probably society maybe, maybe reached it's it's pinnacle really in the west um a time which when i look back it does genuinely seem to be a time that was underpinned by by concepts such as um as freedom and, and creativity and community spirit and, and and patriotism before a quite rapid uh, deterioration in those values however even then going back to my teenage years i still sensed something not quite right I, I mentioned the cynicism and I, I, as the years went by, I began to reject much of what I had been indoctrinated through through um, schooling, through society, into how my life should be lived, uh, <clears throat> which is, you know, the go to school, you go to university, you work your bollocks off to get a degree, then you get a job. And then you say all the right things in the right meetings and in the interviews and you climb up that greasy pole uh, with, with all the other all the other people who are climbing up that greasy pole, you know, to get a few grand extra and a better job title to shout about to their friends and family so they can get that fancy holiday once a year and then improve it on the next, a better holiday the next year. Now, I, I got, you know, I am being cynical here, but I was looking at that conformity of lifestyles all around me and thinking, this doesn't make sense to me. There's more to life than this. Why does it, why, where's the, where's the, the conversation? Where's the creative conversation? Where, where is the, where's the drive to improve ourselves and, and, and society? Why, why are there so few people willing to uh, kind of explore potential? What are we really capable of as individuals here? So I went through the school system and and I went to university. I, I'll always remember my um, graduation day. I did a journalism degree. Um, I always remember my graduation day. I felt I felt a bit embarrassed actually, because everybody around me was in this celebratory mood. Um, you know, this amazing achievement of. of um, of getting their degree and whatever their chosen discipline was. And all I felt was, well, you know, um, they're dressing me up in this in this stupid gown and 
and mortar hat, whatever it's called. Uh, I'm having to go, you know, go to this ceremony to celebrate getting a degree that, you know, 50% of the population have got anyway. What, what What's special about that? And that was when I was 23 when I got my degree and I just felt nothing. Um, and then a series of, a seri- I lived in Spain for a bit, um, for three months, which is, you know, I, it was it was a, one big long party really for me in Spain. Again, I was 23, it was just after university, but it, it continued to open my eyes to um, to experience that, that culture uh, and a different language and it really got me out of my comfort zone. Uh, then I had a series of jobs. I worked. At, I started working at a university at age twenty-five, and um, there were aspects of that job that I enjoyed. But the crucial thing about that was I, I noticed in the decade or ten to twelve years I was there, I noticed a real deterioration in the culture at the university. I noticed a an increase in politicisation. I noticed how the students were, were, were coming out more hung up and neurotic than when they went in. And the, the, the rapid, I noticed the student union and the insane basket case policies they were pushing and the absolute acceleration in, uh, and, uh, in that negative change in the fabric of the university. Well, obviously that affected me and, and my job. And I was already, as I say, I was getting more and more cynical in my 30s and, and I was... I was becoming very uncomfortable working in the public sector with all of its associated bureaucracy and, uh, yes, indoctrination and and admin and endless, mindless meetings. Um, I was already getting itchy feet. Um, Then in 2016, uh, we had a vote in in the UK. You'll, You'll know about it, obviously. It was Brexit. It was the same year that the Americans voted in Trump. And you talk, people talk a lot about when did you wake up? Well, as I say, all through my life, I've, I've felt this, there's something else out there. But what really, really snapped me into, into kind of real awareness about the world was how my country, um, how my, how my society, my, a lot of my countrymen and women reacted to um, a vote that went against them. So obviously the UK voted by the largest margin ever in British um political history by, it was over 1.2 million votes, the difference between, uh, the, the well, that was the number of votes that the, um, the Leave side won by. And it was the most important democratic vote in this country for a number of generations. And it was what happened after that, the, the way that the European Union, um, Westminster and all the parties involved, the, uh, the allegedly independent speaker of the uh, House of Commons, uh, much of the mainstream media, all collaborated to try and stop that vote. Now, that was shocking in, in of itself. But what was even more shocking for me was the fact that, and I'll give you the exact number of people who engaged in democratic sabotage in my country, 6,103,056 people in the United Kingdom signed a petition to stop Sorry to revoke article uh, to revoke Article Fifty, uh, and in revoking Article Fifty to stop Brexit, that was when I thought there's something deeply disturbingly wrong in this country. If there's that many democratic saboteurs, the atmosphere was increasingly febrile as well, and that was probably the time when I noticed how divided society had got. Anyway, then I carried on 
um, I write about Brexit in my in my book, not not the vote itself, but the the response amongst the large sections of the public to it and what it says about us as a society. Going back to me, I um, I carried on. I, I left I left the university. I got a few other um, a few other jobs. Bounced around a few different jobs while I tried to work out what it was that I um, I wanted to do. But when I left the university in April 2019, I, I, I'd finally had enough and I just walked out. And the next morning, I got up at six o'clock, which is very unusual for me. I went for a walk down the canal. I remember it was a lovely, cool um, spring morning, um, really calm, sunny, cool weather. And I came back, opened my laptop, and I started writing my book there and then because I thought there's something badly wrong here it was almost like I could sense almost like I could sense there was a the, the, the world was on a hair trigger so that was in April 2019 I started writing the book bounced around a few more jobs <laughs> and then um, I got a job in a garden center and I got told the day that the lockdown started on the 23rd of March 2020 I got told um, my services were no longer required so then I was thrust into this horrendous world of, you know, of, well, we were all there, weren't we? None of us could make sense of it at the time, but also I'd lost my job. And, um, yeah, so that kind of brings us up to the start of the lockdowns, I guess. Yeah, no, no you're, you're, after, you're after giving us a good bit of information there. What I suppose you're roughly around the same age as me, like I'm, I'm maybe two or three years younger. Would like what? What kind of political outlook, like on what political spectrum, would you have been, say, in your earlier years up until like? Was there an evolution in your like, or were you always kind of, or you know, can you give us a bit of information? Yeah, uh, in my early twenties, I was. Um, I think I probably looked upon myself as a bit of a, a, a bit of a lefty, to be honest. I used to read the Guardian. <laughs> believe it or not because I can't stand the Guardian now um so in my early 20s I didn't really understand myself I didn't really understand politics I think maybe the place I was working a lot of people were of that ilk and I kind of just maybe wanted to be a little bit like them I, I, I don't know anyway then as my as my 20s progressed I did start to become a little bit more interested well quite significantly more interested in politics and I, I kind of like developed a, um, a, a kind of a, a right, what, what would be termed a fairly fairly right wing view. Uh, I voted for the Conservative Party in three or four successive elections. Um, and then we had the Brexit vote and I voted leave. So if if I'm going to say what where do my politics lie, now they lie uh, along the lines of when the le next election come, comes along, the, I'll go to the voting booth and spoil my ballot. That's where I'm at. But in terms of what would what would my position be in a world where we had some, you know, some, well, what do I believe in? I believe in, in, in uh, country, in nationhood, in the sovereignty of the nation. Uh, I believe in low taxation, uh, family, um, faith. Uh, small and local uh, community and small business. So a lot of people would term that as as conservatism. I um, they are they are some values though that I would say that I definitely identify with. Even though 
I have become um, not increasingly disenchanted. I, I, I've separated myself entirely from any from from the political world entirely. So that's a, a just a potted history, really. Yeah, no, no, good stuff. I think I was pretty much the same. Um, I probably would have been more lefty in my early in my mid early twenties and that. And I suppose you only find your feet and you don't know what you what to watch your belief. But I tell you, the biggest education ever was um, over the last decade, anyway. But um, yeah, when the when this pandemic was called by the WHO, did you believe there was really a dangerous virus on the loose, or uh, did you question its validity, or what was your kind of journey around that? Really interesting. This, and again, this is something that I talk about in 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 the book I've written. So by that point, so well, I was what late thirties then. By that point, I was a real uh, cynic when it came to the mainstream media. I was already at the point where I, I, I understood what the mainstream media, how they framed situations, you know, to, um, create worst case scenarios, apocalyptic thinking, um, and repeat ad infinitum via propaganda. So whether it was about well, climate change, was they were already banging, banging on about climate change then, there was already the you know the race war and the, the attempts at sowing um, you know uh, race baiting amongst the population was already in full swing. So I, I could see what the media did and, and I couldn't and I hated them, you know. Um, and I, when the when we were first being told that the, 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 there was this virus that had emanated from from China in you know January and February twenty twenty, um, again I treated it with suspicion and cynicism, and I was kind of. I wasn't really paying much attention to it other than it's just another load of load of rubbish, you know, we're being fed lies. Anyway, as time went on, I changed my mind. I allowed my mind to be changed because I could see that literally everybody around me was going into a blind panic. And as the weeks went by in March, I started to think, I started to, to question myself and to doubt myself. Have you got this wrong, Dave? I think you've, I think you've, uh, I think you've called this wrong. Um, I was saying to myself, and that combined with the again that social proof I had around me of eight, literally every person being terrified. So I went into this kind of um, little bit of psychosis myself for for only for a two or three weeks, and then I snapped out of it. Now that's interesting in in and of itself because I I talk a lot about propaganda and how um, how behaviour is, is is manipulated and how the media are key in sculpting beliefs. Yet that happened to me, which I feel probably or possibly might make what I have to say possibly even more telling because it happened to me only for a short space of time. Now, by the beginning, mid early to mid-April, I was um completely um had completely snapped out of the of that psychosis. You know, the propaganda had loosened its grip on me. I don't know why it was I got reeled in and how I was able to extricate myself so quickly to arrive at a point very, very um very, very quickly where I was able to see the horrific and ugly uh, truth, you know, in, in all its glory. 
And it was from that point in all its ugly glory, it was from that point, uh, starting probably from April, that I began my my own lonely journey then of trying to wake people up. Uh, and that was incredibly uh, isolating uh, and lonely journey. But I've, I've often thought back to those weeks where I went mad, you know, where I was a victim of the, of the madness and insanity. And I've asked myself, what was it? How did you allow yourself to succumb to it? And probably even more crucially, how did you manage to extricate yourself from the grip of the uh, of the information war? Um, so that was my uh, that was my experience. That, that that's interesting because I remember from my own experience that um, I I was kind of uh, I followed and I was always kind of following news and current affairs and stuff. And actually, the the Wuhan thing had come up on my radar before it had actually been started to be rammed down everyone's necks here locally so i was watching videos on youtube and, and you know the odd uh, news report they would say you know there's this new contagion or whatever but most people you know they're, they're just living their lives blissfully unaware but i remember getting interested in it and it was a good month before there was a lockdown or anything here and i distinctly remember talking to my friends and saying mm -hmm. wow this is crazy do you see what's going on in china and i remember these uh, excavator and uh, heavy machinery uh, digging out a plot to put like a 10,000 bed pop-up hospital and my mind was blown and then there was some pundits were saying like oh they're uh the the crematoriums are burning bodies 24 7 you can see the smokestacks from space and all this and I remember looking at this on YouTube and this wasn't on like RT or on the BBC this was slight reports on RT and the BBC you know there's something going on in China but nothing major and I remember seeing all this on YouTube and talking to my friends they're like oh you look into things too much all stuff going on about it. And I said, no, lads, this is really serious. This is very serious. And they didn't, you know, they're laughing at me. Oh, you look into things too much and ha-ha. And I remember distinctly saying to them, you won't be laughing in a few weeks when this lands here. This is real serious. And within yeah. three weeks, they locked down the country. But then about like your, like your situation then, about three weeks later, my logical mind was like, this. Hello. Are you there, Gavin? I, I think he he just lost reception there, David. He'll be back in a second. Um, yeah, no problem at all. Hello. Sorry, am I back? Yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Sorry, that's my that's my connection. I, I was just saying there that when it eventually hit the shores here. Um, I had to, I wanted to know what my risk was, what the kids' risk were, and when I seen the statistics, I realised that this isn't the Black Plague because I, I liked history and I, you know what my frame of reference was. This isn't what we've been sold as it was, you know. But um, just to get back in here, so that was kind of you know the two of our experience there. Um. What was the lockdown like uh, where you were? It seemed like Matt Hancock and company were on TV every day scaring the shit out of people. So I suppose you had a pretty similar situation to what we had, or can you give us your thought? Yeah, so going back to, to what you were saying there, it's interesting that, you know, your experience was similar to mine. And there are so many people it, who um, who tell tell the same story about how they got reeled in for a, for a lot of people say three weeks and it later clicked with me why so many people after three weeks started going, 
started questioning it and and, uh, and then understood what was really happening. And I think what we were told on the 23rd of March when Boris Johnson came on the TV and said, you've all got to stay in your houses. I mean, how dystopian was that? He said it'll be a three-week lockdown. And that was the first lie of a whole litany of lies that were told. And I don't like being told a lie that big. So I think that was part of the reason why after about three weeks, I snapped out of it. Um, and, and other reasons were, I can't remember who someone said to me, they said, look at this on the government's website. And I checked it for myself. And it said on the 19th of March, 2020, which was uh, four days before our lockdown started, it said that COVID-19 had been declassified and it was it was not a non and it was a non high consequence infectious disease. So my logical mind made the conclusion that well, if this is a non high con if high consequence infectious disease, why are the consequences that we as a society are experiencing are are are, are so severe? That doesn't make sense. Then you talk you you mentioned then about the um, you know Matt Hancock and Boris Johnson, Chris Whitty, Patrick Valance, or all those um, foot soldiers of the regime, they were on TV uh, every night. I think it was at five o'clock. Uh, and people would tune in religiously every, every day at five o'clock. And they kept saying this phrase, the new normal. And again, my logical brain, that chilled my blood, that, that phrase, the new normal. I was thinking, well... well you know, why, why does society need to be radically radically different when this is all over? Why And, and why are they why are they instructing us that there's going to be this new normal? What does, what does that mean, the new normal? And then a couple of other little bits and pieces of information, and that just set me on, on the journey. So by the time that the, the lockdown was extended in, in our country, and when would that have been early to mid-April, I was, you know, I, I was absolutely aghast. I was... Um, terrified i was spared to action uh, and people thought gavin that i'd gone mad people thought i had lost my mind because they were all still abiding by the rules they were religiously you know tuning into the tvs at, at five o'clock every day to listen to the to the latest update about how their sacrifice in um suspending all of their fundamental human rights were key in defeating this invisible enemy that, and all that they could, all they could, every single conversation was filtered through the lens of COVID. And that's, of course, how propaganda, how propaganda works. They, they, they simply couldn't conceive of, of, of a world where, you know, free exchange of, of uh, ideas about what we were being told uh, about debate. Uh, about a world where questions can be asked of our politicians, particularly when the, um, you know, when the severity of, of, of the situation was affecting our lives so deeply, they were so indoctrinated. And I remember thinking at the time, I, 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 I was just lost. I was, I don't, but I felt so alone. And I was alone at that point because I didn't know anybody else who had, um, you know, cottoned onto the scam at that point. Anyway, as time went on. I became more and more and more vocal. Uh, I set up, I, I made some connections in the local area and set up a local group. 
some of my fr close friends also woke up in inverted commas. Uh, others didn't. Um, and then we've all experienced it, the, the divisions, the divisions amongst friendship groups, the divisions in families, the arguments, the absolutely horrendously frustrating experience of, of, of people just shutting us down, not listening to us, calling us names and conspiracy theorists and all the rest of it. And time ticked on, time ticked on. And it became apparent that the only way out of this that we were being sold was to everybody to take a jab. And, you know, then I, I like many of us, I did a little bit of research on that. I was connecting more and more dots, stitching the tapestry together. Things were starting to make more and more sense. And I was seeing the situation more clearly every day. I, 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 for really for what it was, for the horrific tyranny that, that it was. Uh, so then it was about all about raising the alarm around the the, the cure, for, the cure, which was essentially a cure for lockdown, wasn't it? You can get out of lockdown. This was the, effectively the message across the world. All, all of our governments told us lockdown will end if if you undergo this medical procedure, uh, and that was it, wasn't it? You know that was what we were told, and, and as we know, most people complied with that. Anyway, so that. Spent much of 20, late 2020 and, and much of 2021 um, try, begging friends and family, obviously particularly family, not to take the jab because I'd seen, um, I'd seen enough with the research I'd done uh, to, to, to demonstrate that it was, it was not only not effective, uh, but dangerous as well. Um, and then the horrific situation occurred where that jab killed my dad. Uh, so, I mean, I've obviously still not processed that. That was in October 2021. And it'll take me years to process the uh, the lockdowns and, what, uh, and how society reacted, what happened to my dad. I'm still in the early days of that, even though I see things clearly and logically. Obviously, the feelings that I've had to process um around that much more a much more complex because the very thing that i warned so vociferously and relentlessly about was the thing that resulted in the death directly it was the thing that killed my dad so you know how do you begin to deal with that it's um and even worse than that the reaction of uh, or non-reaction i should say of um you know of, of People in and, in and around me since that happened to my dad, you know, a refusal to acknowledge the cause, um, just a complete disengagement, um, lack of or absence of empathy, uh, continuing to live this lie even when they know that it's resulted in the death of somebody that they know. You know, it's absolutely horrific, horrific. So. I'm still... really sorry to hear that. Yeah. I'm... Really sorry to hear that. Yeah, cheers. Imagine how hard it was. Yeah. It's the gaslighting, the gaslighting, and then like that, that nobody wants to acknowledge it because maybe they've partook in it. Yes. And they don't want it. Yeah. Like that's a common common thread that's really, that's really heart-wrenching. I'm really sorry to hear that. Yeah, thanks. And, you know, obviously I'm not going to, I'm not going to dwell on what happened to my dad, but I always, um, 
in, not in terms of like obviously how it's affecting me because that's for me to deal with but i always feel that it's i always take every opportunity i can to to mention whenever i can and to whoever i can that that jab killed my dad because it makes it real for people people need to hear that these rumors that they may be hearing actually are true people need that social proof that i was talking about earlier they need to know that the concerns they've got are real concerns that these stories that they're hearing about yeah they are real um and yeah, I, I always and, and i won't and i will never shut up about it and i will and i won't and the the um the gaslighting the lack of concern the lack of empathy the lack of acknowledgement I think I understand why it is, and it's what you alluded to there, because there's so so many people are so deeply embedded in this lie now. They've sacrificed so much of their lives uh, for the lie, uh, and they either deep down or, or quite possibly now on a fully cognizant level realise that they have um, they have made a catastrophic mistake, and for that reason they can't go there. Um, yeah, as a society, we have to have that societal acknowledgement about what's just happened. Not just the jabs, but the lockdowns, the the robbery of our fundamental and inalienable human rights, the attacks on our children and, and our children's education, the carnage that ensued in the care homes, and of course the 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 the, the jab mandates and the horrific coercement and blackmail that, that that went on in in countries across the world. I mean, it. It's laughable and ludicrous that we appear to have so many people who just want to move on from that. Well, no, it's not happening. And I'll never be at peace. And I wouldn't want to be at peace. I can't be at peace. Where there's no accountability and justice, for one thing. And secondly, because it's going to happen again. You know, Mark Twain said history doesn't repeat, but it rhymes. It's true that it won't happen in exactly the same way it's happened with regard to you know, the, the COVID scam. But something similar will happen because pe not enough people have reflected, not enough people have engaged in conversation, not enough people have displayed intellectual honesty and not enough people have... Um, and what we've realised is actually that a moral compass, um, not enough people have a, a moral compass. So there's a, a lot of... Um, th th there's a lot of... Uh, anxiety I have around that um, and where we are at, at the moment in that that real um, neglection of, of, of what is a historical responsibility that's been bestowed on all of us, but which most people have chosen not to take. Yeah, no, look, I understand. My, my heart goes out to you and I'm the exact same thing. Um... I'm not, I will never be happy until there's justice served. I will never be happy until there's public acknowledgement. I want it out on the mainstream media. And I know this is a stretch because they're so deeply corrupted. But I will not be happy that it's on the mainstream media. That, and it is coming out now, I suppose, in different ways that the lockdowns and there's excess deaths and everything else. Mm -hmm. Like my mother took it. Thank, thank God she, she's still alive. She's okay. She, my sister took it, my 19-year-old sister. Um, and most of my family took it, to be honest. Um, so, of course, we all have those anxieties. But I know it was profoundly wrong. And the thing that you, you touched on loads and loads of stuff there, but like for me, it's the the lies. Like I don't suffer lies and fools gladly. Yeah. 
you know they went from one light masks don't work like i'm i'm very interested like there's something out there that might potentially kill us so i done my research i wanted to know the case fatality rate i wanted to know how dangerous it was to children i wanted to know how fast it spread it and very quickly Within the first three weeks of this shit, I knew that my risk of death was slim and none. I knew my children's debt, risk of death was slim and none. And I knew that mass did fucking nothing. And yet the, yep. the, then the, the establishment completely gaslighted us. And actually, I, I found it like I, I used to call it ritual humiliation, where it's the, the, the rules were so absurd that they, they defied logic. And I felt like it was to, to humiliate you, to put you down, that that you... Do you get what I mean? I, like infinite, yeah. like, like the, like the, 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 what do you call it? The emperor has no clothes or something. It's like you have to pretend, yeah. play pretend with the nonsense. Well, that's how the, I'm really interested in in brainwashing. And if, if anybody's um, not read Matthias Desmet's book, uh, The Psychology of Totalitarianism, I, I highly recommend um, because it, it's it's actually quite, um, it's, it's like a simple genius in how it works. And a large, um, a, a large one, big facet to how propaganda works is contradiction, direct con- contradiction. So messaging one day and then the next day, the exact opposite message. And the reason for that is to sow confusion. Nobody knows, nobody knows what the rules are supposed to be. So nobody can make sense of anything at all. No one knows what's true and what's false. I'm talking about like what we term the masses here, because obviously we see it already clearly. But they were all so confused. They were trying the best to keep up with the rules. In fact, it was almost like a badge of honour to know what the latest rules were. But then they were getting really, really, really confused and almost annoyed with the politicians. That well, they were saying, "Well, they were saying this yesterday, now it's this today." And I and I said to them, "Yeah, because they're inflicting propaganda on you. That's what propaganda is. It's to confuse you. Because if you confuse, you're scared, and if you're scared, you're easy to control. That's how propaganda works, underpinned by that fear." Uh, and that same message all the time. And that message was very, very simple, which is there's a killer virus out there. And if you don't do what we tell you to do, you're going to die. And even worse, if you don't obey the rules, all the people will die. It'll be your fault. So there was a lot of guilt as well. So that's how that proper, uh, how, how that uh, propaganda um, was inflicted and, and, and how it worked. And um, Matthias Desmet, he, uh, he, outlines the uh, in his book the the psychology of totalitarianism he goes into a lot of uh, a lot of detail around it and he he explains the um the the conditions that need to be uh, that need to to be set within a society the four conditions that need to be in a society before they will en masse comply with with you know tyrannical instructions but it was so unhinged the propaganda it was so unreal it was so dystopian it was so hilariously mad i i, I used to say to um to, to my other friends who you know who were, were with me and on our side of things and i'd say we were at a point where if boris johnson would have come out on tv right, one of his five o'clock briefings and he would have he, he could have said you know, we've had this latest information from our scientists. What we need is all men in their thirties and forties every Tuesday evening at seven o'clock. You need to go to the end of your garden, and you need to have a slash in the end of your garden. You need to take a piss because that's going to ward off the virus. You would have gone out at seven o'clock, and you would have seen people doing that. They would have done absolutely anything that they were told to do. They went. They were absolutely mental. 
I fully agree. <clears throat> I fully agree with you. You're like my brother in all this because we've had nearly a mirror experience because and people know me because I've been I've been running this chat for nearly three years and we've all been kind of on the same journey. And I used to say the same thing, but I was more crude about it. I said if they asked people to stick their finger up their arse and dance on one leg to stop the COVID, they would have done it. And so there's people probably listening here now to remember me saying that, they'll be yeah. laughing. But it's the truth. It's the truth. And it got really scary for people who were awake because I remember um during the lockdowns, I I read the Gulag Archipelago. And it, it, oh, yeah. it just, unbe- like uh, my mind, I was terrified. To, I just knew that we were so close. We were one order away from being dragged away over houses for not partaking in the in the psyop. And 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 I and I know that 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 there's no doubt in my mind it was one order away. And it not only would have been dragged away to those camps, um, our families and our friends would have waved us away, waved us away and said, "Oh, the feckin' he just they should have just took it." I should what's wrong with them? That's their own fault. Sure, it's just you know, oh, oh, stop! You're bringing it back to me. It's 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 hard. I tell you, I look, I won't get over yeah. all this till we get justice. I can tell you that for not. I want justice for what's gone on here. Yeah, you're right, and. This is the thing that, that you you touched uh, a couple of times so far in this podcast. You've talked about your interest in history. You talked about the Gulag Archipelago there. I'm really interested in uh, in 20th century history, particularly you know the Russian Revolution and then Stalin's rise to power. And obviously, I'm interested in Nazi Germany as well. And you know the history of uh, modern history of Europe is blood soaked, but it also instructs us and teaches us so much about human nature above anything else. Because totalitarianism is actually quite a modern phenomena. Um, it only really ro- ro- rose to prominence in the 20th century. And if you don't have that interest in, in, in history, in human nature, in power and the dynamics of power and how it works, you're not going to spot the signs and you're not going to you're not going to notice your own d- descent into what is in effect moral depravity because mass conformity and mass obedience really only ever ends one way and it ends in uh, persecution in segregation in taking away of uh, fundamental human rights and then you were you were right then certain certain countries and ireland was one of them were ahead of other countries, like, for example, my country, England, where it was bad enough. But certain countries, Ireland, uh, Austria, Germany, Australia, they're four countries that come to mind. They were one step away from what you said there, people being carted off and killed. And worse than that, you're also, I completely agree with you, people would have been waved off, or, well, if not waved off, their family and friends would have kept their heads down and said nothing. And that is the absolute horror of what tyrants and their um, behavioural psychologists and their propagandists are able to inflict on a society. That is how they can coerce an unthinking public into the most heinous acts. And for me, anybody who um, who complied with the, the Vax Passport uh scheme in most European Union countries without raising any opposition to them, engaged in a heinous crime. And the other thing around this as well, and this is what my my angle and my take that I try and explore in my book, uh, is that there's too much focus on our side of things about what they are doing. So like the Klaus Schwab's, the Tony Blair's, the 
the, the Clinton Foundation, the Bill Gates and all the rest of it. It's all true. Absolutely, it's all true. But I laugh at them. I, I, I look at them and I just see them as, as clowns. Yeah, there's some, you know, there's some degree of intelligence there and they, um, you know, they're relentless in their planning. Uh, and, you know, they, 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 they're able to, you know, they're, they're able to put to, to, to bring their plans to fruition. But I laugh at them. They absolutely lose them. The, the people who scare me, the people who scare me are the people around me who just comply with, the, with all this bullshit, mindlessly just comply. Don't object on an intellectual level. Don't object on a um, a moral level. Don't object on an ethical level. Or unwilling to even engage in the most basic of conversations. Yet I've just done what they were told to do in order that they can get back their comfortable old lifestyles. They're the ones who scare me. And also, I will not let off the hook. All of those people, most of them are in the public sector, all those doctors and nurses, all those nice doctors and nurses, all those nice teachers, the teachers have got a hell of a lot to answer for, all those police, policemen and women, all those people in the civil service and the councils who were going around shutting down businesses. Just in my country alone, there are hundreds of thousands of people, I hope, probably millions, aren't sleeping at night because they have engaged in the most horrific acts, some of which were against children. And they should be ashamed of themselves. And we shouldn't be letting these people off the hook because it's those people that have caused this. The orchestrators planned it, but it was the nice, ordinary men and women who were sticking cotton buds up noses, who were sticking needles in arms, and who were putting masks over faces, who were shutting down schools, who were shutting down churches, and who were standing on the gates of hospital at the gates of hospital saying, You can't come in to visit your sick child. They are the people who need to be held to account. And I feel that a lot of us on our side aren't paying enough attention to this. Society is sick. Society is sick. That is why we've been manipulated to such extreme degrees. We are the only generation of people that they could have done this to. They've prepped for decades. They've conditioned us for decades and they've struck They've, they've, they, they've, they've attacked when we are most distracted and vulnerable because we are a distracted society, distracted by all the wrong things. So let's not let off, let's not let off the hook all these nice ordinary men and women who just went along to get along, you know, all the people who are actually part of the government apparatus who inflicted these horrendous crimes, they need to pay as well. Oh look, you're um, they're speaking my language, and exactly look, you must you've had the, nearly the, the mirror experience that, that I've had. Um, I I've said that as well all along. It's the people I fear most are my family and friends. I said, and I used to say the biggest threat to us are your neighbours, your sister, your mother, like, mm -hmm. and that's the it's the, it's the and I think that's why I want it, I want this to be exposed and I want it to be mainstream that this was a crime that this was for that reason because it, it is terrifying and um even thinking about it back it, it brings back horrible emotions um I, and I, i'm a very logical person and uh, nonsense and i don't suffer fools gladly like i get a pain in my head with with, with nonsense and, and blatant yeah. lies and bullshit it really disturbs me like a heart i get nearly a pain in my head like a pressure headache someone starts like talking pure bullshit or something that's completely you know blatantly identifiably wrong and, and false and I think what you touched on there as well about the uh, morally, um, intellectually, 
just completely put their whole lives on autopilot. Like I, I didn't go to college, right? I didn't go to college, but I, I wanted, I, I, and I couldn't get my head around this one. I'm talking about the stupidity. If you're that worried, will you do a bit of fucking research? If you're that worried that you're going to, see, you know what I mean? If you're so bothered, will you take out your Google and case fatality rate? What is the risk for me? What is the risk for my children? Oh, there's a 99% survival rate. I, I, I say this to people, you know, and I used to, I, I lost an awful lot of faith in our people and, and, and you know, their, their mindset and everything. And I, I kind of put it down to like um, the national lottery mindset. You know, the way some people say, like, I know some people do the lottery and it's a bit of sport, but realistically, you're probably never going to win it. So people used to say it's a tax on the, on the working class or a tax on the poor man because you're going out and you're gambling, whatever, you're, you're never going to win nothing. And I found that with the, like, I, I was like, are they that fucking stupid? Do they think I, I, you have a 2% chance of death? But in the end, they couldn't wrap their head around that. Oh, 2%? Oh, Jesus. Like, this is the thing. I just lost all faith. I lost all faith in my countrymen. Like, two, if they say you have a 2% chance of death and they're that fucking dumb that they realise you might as well say you have zero chance of death. Do you know what I mean? Oh, still, it's like the National Lottery. Oh, could be you. No, it won't be fucking you. It's a 2% chance of death. Will you just stop it? Stop the nonsense. Yeah. You're hurting my brain. <laughs> yeah, I totally... Uh, when when you take a step back, and this is what I did with with my book, is I, I had to I had to go under the skin of why is society so so extremely um, malleable in terms of in terms of this conformity of, of of thinking and these 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 kind of like templates for life. Why is everyone walking the same path? Like what what is it? What where where's the um, Where's the the spirit of uh, where's the spirit of rebellion? Where's the the, um, the 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 creative impulse? You know where where are the where are the firebrands and where, where where's the um, where's the variety? What 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 the hell has happened to us? Where is and then that's not even getting into what why are we so you know mor- morally degenerate and uh, and what, you know, why are we so complacent? Why are we so addicted to convenience and comfort? And I mean, but so addicted, unbelievably so. And you know, researching or not researching, we're trying to understand and theorize and tracking back back to the end of the Second World War about how society has been has been almost managed to the point that we got to in 2020 where they could where they could make that order for everyone to stay at home and people complied on mass that was a hell of an experience for me and i've heard a lot of people saying that the last couple of years is the greatest education ever and by god yeah oh my god yeah it really is isn't it i mean the flip side to it is because i share your concerns massively about um we have a we have a um a, a society that's uh, that's that's deeply sick, morally and intellectually and spiritually sick, but not exclusively so. Because I also think, I don't think, I know because I can see it, and it's things like this what you're doing. There is an intellectual and moral um, count. I call it a, a, an intellectual and moral counter revolution that's kind of like simmering below the surface. And I do believe in time that that will kind of like spring forth. And, and you know it'll wash away all of uh, all of this bad stuff I've been talking about. But also, just on that, on the on a more positive note, there's people in my life who I've seen go, gone through the journey of being totally brainwashed to being wow, so kind of uh, inquisitive and so aware of what's going on and so vociferous. And all credit to those people. 
you know, my mum's one of, one of those people. She went on that journey. And now she's even more, more vociferous than me, my mum, bless her. You know, she really is. And obviously it's been so difficult for her. And this is what really, really makes my blood boil, right? Because I changed my mind on this. My mum changed her mind on this. My brother changed his mind. You changed your mind. Uh, a lot of people I know changed our mind. We admitted, oh, we fell for this. We fell for it. Uh, but we gave ourselves permission to change our minds and nothing bad happens. You just change your mind. That's it. You change your mind. Nothing happens to you. You just change your mind, you know, based on, on new information that you've allowed yourself to be ex to be exposed to. Why can't more people have done that in the last couple of years? Why couldn't they in those early days have been willing to um to to engage in those in those debates to to listen to what we were saying now again obviously the answers are, are, are relate probably primarily to they were under they were under the spell of propaganda but i firmly believe now that there's only a vanishingly small number of people who are truly are brainwashed you know who think there's a killer kill virus out there who think that we need to send billions of pounds of money to Zelensky, who think that we need to have climate lockdowns and 15-minute city. I think most people now know on some level there's something really, 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 really badly badly wrong, but they can't bring, it, bring themselves to say these simple words, I have changed my mind. That's all they need to go. I have changed my mind. Welcome to the... Welcome... Welcome. I mean, it'd be nice if they then said, thanks for everything you've done for us. And it'd be even nicer if they said, sorry. But there's a starting point. I have changed my mind. Because, because now you've changed your mind, that gives us a slightly better chance now of saving this world because you've had the courage to say, I have changed my mind. But society is so fucking degenerate that people can't do that. Yeah, no, you're 100% correct there. And this is our problem. This is our biggest challenge now because we have got we've got the critical mass of people. We're just not we're just not organized enough. How can we? We've got the critical but so what we do is we, what we need we need more of our friends, family, neighbor and colleagues to add to that sheer weight of numbers for this whole thing to collapse. But we're just, it's like we're crying out into a barren desert, into a barren wasteland. And this, I, I, the only word that I can use to describe the silence now, because we we don't hear they, we're not getting called conspiracy theorists and alt-right extremists and all that anymore, are we? No one's saying these things anymore. There's a silence that I can only describe as haunting. It haunts me. I can feel it. It's so loud. It's so It's a loud silence and it's a haunting silence. And that's the reason because they can't admit that they've made a historically catastrophic mistake on an individual level that has impinged and affected the lives of so many across the world. It's on them, and they can't, they can't admit it. Or they can't admit that, that, that they were lied to. Like, the other, the other thing is, and what really irks me, is that like a lot of these people were all the pundits on the news, like, you know, they were saying that we shouldn't be invited around for Christmas dinner if we didn't take it. Uh, throwing out ideas and how we should be excluded from society, X, Y, and Z. And the twisted and most effed up thing of the whole lot is that if you look at the rollouts here in Ireland, they had like 80 or 90% for the first two. Uh, they had 70% or 80% for the third. And now there's like 
So all yeah. the people who are calling for us to be locked away, the ones who are mocking us all over the internet, the ones who are ridiculing us, they're quietly now. Why aren't they still taking these things if they were so yeah. right? But they can't come out and fucking say it. They can't come out and say they were wrong. They can't say they were duped. You know? So that's, yeah. you know, it looks good. Yeah. And, and, and this is, this, these are the, these are the conundrums and the questions that, that, that need to be, that need to be answered, you know, because we can't solve the problem. If we haven't, if society is not going to name the problem, the problem, I'll name it, the problem. We've been subject to historical levels of tyranny that have killed loads of people. And the vast majority of people were complicit in that. That's the problem. So let's name the problem, everybody. And then we can start thinking about what the solution is. Then we can start thinking about how we can assure, ensure accountability and justice for those people who've been harmed and killed. And we can ensure justice for those people who deserve to go to jail or, or worse. But it, before before you, uh, you can even begin to heal this world, before we can even begin to solve this the, the whole litany of problems that we've got in that are all connected to that overarching kind of like umbrella of tyranny. The problem must be named. The problem must be talked about. The problem must be acknowledged by everybody, by every single adult in this world, you know, particularly those who've got children. Um, and, it, and the fact that it's not is for me, the, the optimist in me says, it says what it's doing is it's delaying all those things. It's delaying the truth and, and accountability and justice. But I tell you what, it's delaying it by about 25 years. It could be 25, 30 years before we get out of this. We will get out of it, but it could be a whole generation. It could be, and it could end so quickly. That's what frustrates me. That's what really, really angers me. It really does, because in the end, in the end, the truth, well, it is all, the, it's all about the truth. It's there, isn't it? All it need, all we need now is people to look at it and acknowledge it. And in the end, they will. They'll have to, because to live with such an absolutely huge kind of stain on their conscience, I, I don't think they're going to be able to, to do that for the rest of their lives. I think at some point, people are going to start having to talk about it. I can't make a case that that's not going to happen. But when will it happen? And how much more work do the likes of us have to do to ensure that we keep this tyranny at bay? Because that's all we're doing at the moment. When I say that's all we're doing, I'm not. that's not to discredit what we're doing. I mean, that's, that's all we can do with our maximum effort. We're not defeating this tyranny. We're just keeping it at bay. We need some fucking help. We need some help from the people who, who've caused it. That's why the likes of me and you get so frustrated and angry at the people around us who continue to keep their heads down because it's putting such an unfair amount of pressure and burden on us. And we're not the type of people who are gonna who are gonna who are gonna go. Oh, do you know what? I've had enough of this. I give up the ghost. We're not gonna do that. We'll carry on with this every day for the rest of our lives. But we'd like some help. No, a hundred percent. But also that um, to ensure that it never happens again, I'm yeah. very worried. I know that that anything like you know we hear these conspiracy people talk about blue beam and all these different things. I know that 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 something could come and and the whole thing could happen again under a different guise. That these people could be whipped up into a fervor, yeah. and, and 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 we and unless there's a, an education and a lesson learned, that's where like I won't feel safe. <laughs> like 
because it's just, it was just crazy what went on. But look, we're after flogging the shit out of that. I want you to get into a bit about your book. Can you give yeah. us um, yeah, give us a bit of a synopsis on the book and, and, and go through it a bit of it, just because I'm looking at the time there. We're after getting into a big conversation, but I want to talk yeah. a bit about your book. Yeah, so I've got my YouTube channel, which is called The Imperfect Individual. So I, I, I talk about society and, and, and people and, and the individual's place within society. Um, my book is also called... So it's called The Imperfect Individual. And then the tagline is why our world is in turmoil and how you can save it. So there's four things there, really. The, imper the imperfect individual, why our world is in turmoil and how you can save it. Right. So imperfect. I kind of like celebrate imperfectionism in my life because I believe that we live in a time where uh, kind of uh, these we live in a time of, uh, of where image is everything, uh, where politicians are pushing utopian uh, agendas so you know net zero and zero covid and transhumanism making the perfect human being and all these kind of things now utopian utopianism is is a bad thing you know human beings and human societies aren't set up to be utopian and the pursuit of the pursuit of utopia always leads to dystopia imperfectionism celebrates um, it's it celebrates vulnerability. Uh, it's it celebrates flaws. Uh, it, it, it's about having a acknowledgement that to be to be human is is to be deeply flawed and that, that, that we will make mistakes. So I believe that we need to 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 celebrate the imperfections of our nature more. So that's what that's about. Individual. Why did I call it individual? Well, again, because I feel that the the concept, the sovereignty of the individual. The concept of the individual is under threat in a world that has tended towards destructive and moronic group think. And, you know, it, the individual who can lead, who can create, who can think, who can converse, who can be courageous is what the world, need, world needs at the moment. So that's why I called the book and my YouTube channel The Imperfect Individual. And then the tagline for the book is why our world is in turmoil and how you can save it. So obviously, I have to explain in the book why our world is in turmoil. And again, I don't come at it from the angle of talking about what the World Economic Forum are doing and, you know, the UN Agenda 30, 2030 and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I'm, I'm interested in that, but nowhere near as interested in that as I am with society itself, with people and, and, and our societal descent into this moral and intellectual degeneracy. So what I do is I go back to the end of the Second World War and I talk about a number of different factors that have led to our well-being in turmoil and at the behest of these tyrants. And then the last bit on how you can save it. So you, again, is a nod to the individual because I truly believe that in order, in order to defeat tyranny and, and um, emerge into a world that once again does celebrate liberalism and democracy and freedom, uh, and um, is altruistic in its in its outlook. I believe that starts with the individual. So it's up to the individual to make that decision whether they want to whether they want to embrace that. What I believe is a historic responsibility at the moment. So so that's what the book's about. I um, I I don't pull any punches, and it is a very savage evisceration of Western societies as things stand at the moment. But there's also a lot of optimism in the book as well. Uh, I talk a lot about that moral and intellectual counter-revolution that I was mentioning to you before. So, yeah, that's the book. If anybody's interested 
in the book. Um, they can get it on the Author House website. It's authorhouse.com forward slash en hyphen gb forward slash bookstore. And then you just type in the imperfect individual. Or I've always got links to it on my uh, YouTube videos. So that's the that's the the book and the YouTube channel. What's the name of the YouTube channel again? The Imperfect Individual is it? I'll, I'll share up the links after this uh, after yeah. this podcast. Anyway. Yeah, I'll send you the um, the link for the book as well. Yeah, thanks thanks for that. It's uh, so the YouTube channel and the book are both called the the Imperfect Individual. And the other thing that I've got as well with my friend Paul, we have a podcast. So we're available on Spotify, Google, and Apple. And it's called An Englishman, An Irishman, and a Load of Bollocks. And we're, we've done, I think we've done 21 podcasts now. We've been, um, we've been podcasting since, I think, about November. And again, we try to explore similar themes, uh, you know, stories, history, culture, people, nationhood and we're looking to get more and more uh, more and more guests on to tell their story as well and um i love doing that podcast the youtube channel actually is pre- i'm always talking about stuff that's really really heavy uh with the with the podcast with paul we're able to bounce off each other a little bit and i think we're uh we're a pretty good team so if anybody's interested in that as well it's it's called an englishman an irishman and a load of bollocks <laughs> We try and be as self-deprecating as we can, you know. Yeah, well, that's this. You have to have a, you have to have a bit of um, a bit of humour and a bit of banter. It's the only thing that keep you going. It's the only thing that's kept us going here in the last three years on these channels, yeah. laughing and talking. We'd love to get you on our podcast as well, Gavin. If you'd like to, um, you know, if you'd like to come on, interview you, tell your story. Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't yeah. mind doing that at all. Yeah, we can work that I'll out. Hear about that. Yeah, that'd be brilliant. Um, Trish is there. She normally comes in with a few questions. Um, if you don't mind, we'll. we'll have you? Are you there, uh, Trish? Yes, I am. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Thanks, Gavin. Um. David. Um. I. I. Um. When Finn told me that she was inviting you on to our podcast, I wasn't familiar with you, so I went through some of your stuff on YouTube, and it's absolutely fantastic. Some of the content you've pushing, you have been pushing out, and uh, one one particular video kind of um, stuck stuck in my head. There, it's you, you like to give a lot of. Um, you know different you know different tips and stuff for for the ordinary person in their lives and one of them one of the videos that i really really enjoyed was the the video the video around uh, you know um what was it habits that stick you know um you know like given 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 tips you know just just um you know, around different habits. You know, to change your habits. Yeah. And I was just wondering, have have you have you been able to use any of them yourself? Have you successfully implemented any in your life? Um, any new habits or anything? Well, do you know, f- first of all, thanks very much for the kind comments. I really, I really appreciate that. It's only a small channel, but I, I you know, I love my subscribers. I really do, uh, and it's quite an interactive channel as well. And um, you know, I've learned a lot from 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 the people who subscribe, and and you know, I'm, I'm really grateful. Um, and thanks again for your kind words. Yeah, I think what springs to mind is I, I think the greatest challenge for me at the moment 
is well, when when you put yourself out there like I have done, you make yourself vulnerable to criticism and you open you open yourself up to you know accusations of um of hypocrisy and you you run the risk of uh, of contradicting yourself and making you look silly and making yourself look silly and things like that but that's all part of the of the the territory of, of being outspoken and going on a public platform it shouldn't stop anyone from telling the world what they think and it also shouldn't stop anyone from if they feel that they can help by offering practical tips or uh, spiritual tips or, or, or anything like that from from doing so because I'll be honest with you I, I've um I've I've far from got my life sorted you know I've um I've got a hell of a lot to learn I really really have I've struggled to cope I've let the anger get better get the better of, of me um on occasions but I like to think that with the way that I talk about the world, that there's always something that I say that might help, uh, might help somebody, somebody watching. And probably, probably the biggest challenge for all of us at the moment. I was only thinking about this today: is when to challenge and when to accept, because both of those need some level of uh, discernment. You know, you can't challenge everything all the time. That probably make you, a, you know, an hour control anarchist, but. Sometimes you, you you do need to challenge, you know, from a, a moral angle and also acceptance. Sometimes to accept is to be a coward. And we've seen a lot of that, people accepting tyranny. But there's also a type of acceptance that involves surrender, a spiritual surrender to, to, to accept that you can only change some things that are in your immediate control and that you can't change the world. And that for me is probably my my you know biggest conundrum at the moment um but I, I, what i try and do is is uh, with each video to even if i'm not offering a, a tip or a solution is maybe to give somebody even just one person a different way of looking at their world that's fantastic david and um i'm just going to touch base on another on another um youtube video that you did as well um relation in relationship to failure you know we all fail at different things in our life and um you you kind of explored you know the avenue of maybe looking at failure as a learning opportunity which i mm -hmm. thought was a fantastic way of you know of getting the mindset instead of getting down in the dumps over over something failing in your life that you look at it well where did i go wrong you know maybe next time i could do this and do that you know so it kind of gives you a springboard for looking to the future and i was just wondering how do you deal with setbacks in your life uh i'm just used to it <laughs> i you know i i've come to realize that that fail yeah the 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 most successful people have failed um more than have failed the most and when i say successful i'm talking about success in creating something or changing themselves or their little slice of the world for the better failure is is um is something again like like failure and authenticity are, are two uh two concepts that society frowns on um that really does frown on and suspicious of people um 
to to admit weakness again in this day and age is something that that uh, I feel invites uh, in ridicule and invites suspicion. But but what I think what needs to be understood is that we shouldn't aim for failure, of course. But when failure arrives, it's to be understood as part of a journey to something. We don't even need to, dis- to we don't even need to to determine what the something is, as long as as long as in the act of failure that we were pursuing something that was that had an altruistic aim. Failure is good. Failure is good. I failed. I failed my way to writing this book. I failed my way to appearing on this podcast and talking to you. I failed my way to being a co-host of a podcast with Paul. I failed my way to a YouTube channel. I failed all my life. And that's great. That's great. I've failed more than I've succeeded. And that's great. And I'm and I'm content with that because I feel that in failing, I've learned more about myself. I've learned more about the world. And I've developed a strength of character. So again, something else going forward as a society in a Western world is that we need to recalibrate our attitude towards towards failure and certainly recalibrate our attitude towards what constitutes success. That's absolutely fantastic. That's absolutely fantastic, David. And basically, um, going forward with your YouTube channel, um, are, are you looking at what what um, topics are you looking to explore in the future, and where do you see your channel um, moving forward? And have you any other books in the pipeline? Well, with re- with regards to my channel, I've um, it's hanging by a thread. I have um, got, I've had two bans recently, so I've got to get through another about another sixty days without another video being taken down. Uh, and if I do get another video taken down, my whole channel gets deleted, which will be absolutely tragic because that's kind of like a body of work of, 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 for my life. That is, I've got about four hundred videos on there. Uh, but of course, this is the problem uh, when you essentially speak too many inconvenient truths the censors get you because what you have to say has been deemed as a, as too much of a threat so the channel's actually hanging by a thread um at the moment so i'm having to be very very careful and um, you know i don't really like being careful with what i say i just like to say say what i think but in terms of what i'm going to carry on just I don't put any pressure on myself. I could sometimes go a week or two without putting any content out there. And then other days I might be, I might do two videos, just anything that, that, that comes into my mind that I feel that I can provide some clarity on. I'll create some content around it. But, it, but if my thinking is confused and muddled and I'm, I feel like I'm putting myself under pressure to create content, I won't do it. But I will keep the the general theme of society. The general theme of the channel is comment on society and the individual's place within that society. So I'm just going to carry on doing what I do. I think I'm restricted quite a lot. I don't really get many uh, much organic growth, if any, at all. Um, but that's fine because, as I said at the start, I like the way my channel is. It's only small, but I've got just the the right type of audience who who are. They just get me and I get them. There's really good conversations back and forth and they are good people and nice people, brave people, you know, clever, intelligent people. And so, you know, I love them. Uh, thanks, David. Any any, any other book in the pipeline? 
Oh, uh, another book. Yeah, I have. Uh, I, I I've just started writing. Actually, when I say just started writing, only a, literally a couple of paragraphs. Uh, my second book. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, but the topic is going to be around the subject of propaganda and brainwashing, and not so much why some people are susceptible to it, but why some people are resistant, uh, resilient to it. I think that. I think that's. That there's a lot to explore there, and I've got a number of different theories around why that is. So that's my my aim for the next twelve to eighteen months. Uh, so there'll definitely be another book. It might not be out in the next twelve to eighteen months. It might be two three years. But yeah, that's the the the, the kernel of the idea I've got, and the um, the the content that I think I'm going to try and explore in the book. That's absolutely fantastic. Sounds very, very um, exciting and very, very interesting and very pertinent to what everybody's going through at the moment. So keep plugging on with that. And we we all look forward to eventually um, down and having a, a nice read uh, out of it. Um, David, are you open to getting to taking a question or two from our audience? We've a large number of people on. I'm sure somebody might have a question for you. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay, guys, if anybody has a question for David, um, just stick up your hand there and we'll give you the opportunity to speak to him. I wouldn't mind asking David a question, Patricia. Oh, oh, Jesus, CFN, work away, work away. Apologies. First of all, thanks very much, Dave. I liked very much what you said about, um, you know, failing your way into your project. That's very important. I I often I I pray to God to guide me sometimes, and when I fail, I kind of say thanks God, thanks for for making me fail because I've learned from, from that mistake. But why what I was wondering is, um, you get on very well with Paul, and I'm wondering how did you find Paul, and you seem to have a great rapport with him. Yeah. I, yeah, Paul's absolutely brilliant. We t we talk every day, and he's a really, really good friend. Um, I can't remember the exact details, but I think Paul stumbled across my one of my YouTube videos around about the summer of 2020, just around the time when it was only a few weeks old. And I, I think he said that he uh, he saw this. He saw this fella walking through the English countryside, talking into his phone, but he was talking a lot of common sense. So that was obviously me. Um, and he got into—I think he got in touch with me on Telegram. I can't remember uh, the exact details, but we just hit it off. We just hit it off straight away. Um, so that was—you know—that was what 18, 24 months ago, something like that. And um, we we talk every day about the issues of the day, about what was happening in you know around my area, about what was happening in Ireland. And Paul was an active contrib contributor on my channel. He was always chiming in with comments, and um, we just really, really got on with each other. Uh, we're talking on WhatsApp every single day. And I think it was Paul actually. Maybe when was this then? Probably six months ago, six eight months ago, maybe last summer. And he said you know, should we look into maybe doing some kind of like collaborative work? Because we've both got the, you know, similar uh, world view um, 
uh, and similar values would we you know what could we work together on a project so we had a little discussion and then i can't remember which one of us said let's do a podcast and then we just set set ourselves up and we just put our first podcast out there and it was great you know and i think we uh, i think i do think we work well together paul's very 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 measured very very articulate uh, he's got a very um, very funny sense of humor he doesn't take things too serious but he understands the seriousness of the issues uh, at large in the world and i kind of shoot from the hip more i'm probably a bit a bit more impassioned and fly off the handle a little bit more but ultimately the two of us we 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 cherish conversation you know we love conversation and we love stories and we love you know exploring the things that we're interested in through those conversations and stories so why not a podcast uh so i'm sure paul would say the same um we you know we i love the podcast and um, we'll be we're doing one this thing our next one's this friday actually and again we don't put ourselves under too much pressure we'll just do a podcast when we feel like doing a podcast we are looking to get more guests on as well we have interviewed a couple of guests so far, but most of them is just me and me and Paul back and forth, kind of like shooting the breeze, really. Uh, we try and keep things lighthearted as well as ta- tackling the really serious stuff. So, again, if anyone's interested in that podcast, you can find us on Google, Spotify or, or Apple. And we're called An Englishman, An Irishman and A Load of Bollocks. So, yeah. Do you do any form of activism? Um, besides um, the podcasts and everything, did you get out on the streets at all, or were you interested at all in that kind of end of it? Yeah, I, yeah, I did. I went to uh, protests um, in Liverpool and uh, all the towns nearby. I, I gave out the light paper as well uh, on quite a few occasions. I did the yellow boards. I don't know whether you had that in Ireland. There was a bit of a movement here where. A, a group of people that go to a populated area like in a town centre and hold up yellow boards um, with messages on there about the media being the virus and you know the, the jab killing people and things like that um, my kind of um, my, my main way of of making a, a difference has always been um, to, to be what Paul Paul would turn to be a lone wolf <laughs> and I think I've realised that I'm one of those people as well so I feel like I can make most difference with my writing with my YouTube channels and by kind of almost like working alone really rather than as part of a group like being a dissident um really but that's not to say that I don't realize realize the importance of protest because I really do thanks for that there are hundreds of other questions I would have liked to ask you but there are a couple of other people waiting to speak to you yeah no problem thanks Finn cheers Good stuff. Um, we let Paddy in there next, Finn. I'll just unmute him here. Yeah, thanks, Gavin. And um, yeah, thanks for your, um, you know, your message tonight. There's a lot I agreed with there. Um, you know, particularly, um, you know, looking to what mistakes were made and how to put them right. And I found out something today that the the UK Health Secretary before Matt Hancock, that's um, 
I forget her name now. I think it's uh, Doris, something Doris. But um, anyway, apparently Matt Hancock wanted the zero tolerance of COVID and separating children from the parents and everybody being put into camps. And um, if it wasn't for uh, for the for the former secretary, you know, this woman Doris, um, we would have had that. Now. Um, I think that uh, there is a, an awful lot of uh, educational indoctrination. I think education has a big part to play in all of this. And I think education has been linear thinking as opposed to lateral thinking, you know. So I would, um, mm -hmm. I would think it would be one of the moves forward, really. Um, you know, yeah, but I think there's a lot, uh, there's a lot that needs investigating um you know and more by the day really as we as we still go on with this but um have you got any thoughts about uh you know when we get to the end of this you know w what uh, you would be looking to change yourself in the bigger picture you know where what fundamentals have you been made aware of yeah th thanks for that uh i think there's a risk of uh, large scale uh, civil disobedience uh, that could tip over into um, into violence and riots this summer. Now, despite what I've said before about the um, the, the continuing apathy and silence um, of the of the masses, there is also uh, a, a a building anger amongst more and more people now, uh, as more and more people are being affected by this tyranny. And of course, the summer is the perfect breeding ground for. Um, you know, for for civil disobedience and riots, and we're seeing it in other countries. There's pockets of it in Ireland, uh, centering on the uh, the migrants issue, um, and there's 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 also large scale uprisings going on in countries like France, Holland, Israel as well. So that the it feels like the world is is on a bit of a is on a bit of a, a trigger at the moment now, i'm not saying that will happen i'm saying it's a a possibility a strong possibility in terms of um how it how this all ends i don't know i don't know um i think like many people i wake up i wake up one day and i feel optimistic in in my nature and then the next day I'll feel the opposite, and that can often be dictated to by just conversations that I'm having or not having with people around me. When you realise that the scale of the of of the ignorance and, and and the apathy, but then you'll have another conversation with somebody else, and you'll think, right, okay. So what what I do know for sure is that we're living in revolutionary times. That is, without a doubt, we are living in revolutionary times. You know, we are being subject to a political health, social, economic, media and AI revolution all at the same time. So that's been happening for the last few years and it's accelerated since the advent of the the COVID uh, scandemic era. So I know that and I also know, uh, I, I alluded to it uh, uh, earlier on in the podcast, or I, I think I know, there is a um, a moral and intellectual counter revolution. There is a, a an attempt at seizing back control of community, of uh, national sovereignty, of individual sovereignty, and of traditional values such as nationhood, faith, family. Um, 
so the globalists and the the dark forces who are orchestrating all of this are now don't have everything their own way they are in a battle they are in a titanic battle with a still with a relatively small number of people though a relatively small number of people which is why it frustrates the hell out of me that we can't get more of our family friends neighbors and colleagues on board with us to, to swell our numbers how it all ends I can't answer that question. I can just I can just say that I believe we're living through uh, through the the most important revolution, um, and we are ever in ever in human history, and we we are at the most critical inflection point right now in all of human history because you know societies can be have been enslaved by guns and bullets. That's only ever temporary. Millions of people can and do die. It's only ever temporary. It always ends. Once you have a technocratic biosurveillance um, tyranny, that's permanent. You can't roll that back, that's game over. That's how high the stakes are. So we all we can do is continue our, our, our own individual battles, I guess. Yeah, okay, that's great. Thanks for that very much. Cheers. Thanks, Paddy. Yeah, I have to agree with you there, Taliyah. We're definitely in the battle of our lives with central bank digital currencies and yep. mass immigration, all of the all of the issues all at once, you know. But like sure, if we don't do it, nobody else is going to do it. Um yeah. I don't see any more Alice hands had a up. Question. Who's that? Alice had her question. I don't know if she's still there. Hold on, let's check. Don't see any hands up, so Keep the, I want to keep the audio tidy, Finn. I just don't want large gaps in uh, in sound. Are you there, Alice? If you're not, we're just going to wrap up here now. Hello, David. Hello. Hello. Um, thank you, Gavin. And thank you so much for your podcast and your information. It's been absolutely interesting to me. So thank you so much. Um, I've got a question, if that's okay. It's just a quick question. Um, right, first, oh, sorry, I wanted to say I'm so sorry for your loss of your dad. Oh, thanks. Um, but yeah, my question was, um, you said you're at university studying journalism. And I'm just curious, because I've been to uni as well, and lots of people I know have been to uni. Um, did you see any sort of, any anti-British or anti-white or anti-English, Irish, Scottish, Welsh themes in what you were being taught? And did you get taught any tricks to trick the public when you were training? Uh, that's a, a really good question. Yeah, that's a really good question. The first thing I would say, it was, obviously it was 20, well, 20, 20, 22 years ago now, so it was a long time ago. And I'll be honest with you, Back then, my my priority wasn't wasn't my degree. It was it it was uh, my my life back then revolved around going out, you know, nights out. And university for me was it, it was about going out on the lash every night. I didn't really take what I was doing very seriously at all. But it is a very it's a very good question. It's not something that I do rem. It's not something that I remember. No. Um. Now we did do a number of of, of different modules. We did video. We did radio as well as print i don't remember um i don't remember being taught any 
any uh, techniques to uh, employ propaganda through journalism. However, I don't think at that age I would have been aware if I was. All I know is that for me, university wasn't something that I particularly enjoyed. Uh, I knew enough about the um, the media back then to not want to go into the media because I saw how, how ruthless it was uh, and predatory it was. If not, I didn't realise maybe as much as I do now about the propaganda. So I, I certainly made the decision that I didn't want to go into that world. Um, so in terms of, of what a journalism degree would be like now, I, I can only imagine, but I, I would I would uh, venture that it'd probably be radically different and that certainly at universities, which are the, the which have been the breeding ground for this um you know neo-Marxist kind of ideology that, that we've got in place now. Uh, I can only imagine that the the journalism degrees, you know, the new the new batch of journalists are being educated uh, by the regime in exactly the way the regime wants them to be educated. So, yeah. Thank you. No problem. Good yeah, stuff. Thanks, Good. Um, will we wrap it up at that, Patricia? Are you are you ready to say yeah, something? That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we've we've uh, a lot of content on there now, so it's fantastic. And David, you've been so generous with your time, and thank you so much. Oh yeah, can yeah, I just say very again? much, David. Oh, thanks, thanks to to uh, to the three of you for organising it, and um, you know for inviting me on it, and thanks for the people that have listened and asked questions as well. You know, really. I really appreciate everything. So, yeah, thanks again. Good stuff. Cheers.